Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to what are, uh, episode number eight of Off Air. It's a new sport and pop culture podcast where Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart the three biggest stories of the week. Um, and they are a total surprise for Nick uh, because he made it very clear early on in doing this. He said he wanted nothing to do with doing any of the research of the podcast. So every week I find the stories that I think you're going to find interesting and I spring them on him as a total surprise. And I think we're actually going to catch him off guard with a couple of them this morning, uh, today. Um, what have we got? I like to give you a little heads up what they're going to be so that you know. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to do Super Netball. Netball is going to be changing the rules of the game, and they've actually totally surprised a bunch of their players with this announcement. The players are not happy. Also, the world's most famous porn star has been arrested for sexual assault. This is very serious, and it's also literally just breaking as we're recording. So I'm looking forward to getting into that one. Um, and then lastly... oh. Gladys Berejiklian says that you're not allowed to play with your friends from Melbourne. Is it fair? Is it right? We're going to pull it apart on the other side of this. It's off air. Tim, Nick, yeah. Let's with Nick and Tim. It's real talk. Yeah. It's real walk. This ain't gossip. It's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk. It's real talk. Just two opinions. We spit what we say. We off air. It's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions. We spit what we say yeah. when we off air. And we're live. We're connected. Nick and Tim on the 24th of June this afternoon. Hello, Nick Stewart. Good day, Allo. It's 328 <laughs> in the afternoon. Sorry, I got caught out there. What's uh how are you going? Did you nearly say good? Did you think that I was saying, <laughs> hey Nick, how are you? And then you um, realize that I don't care. No, well, I was gonna launch into a good morning, a big solid throaty good morning. And I realized it's it's we're well into the afternoon by this point. You can't really call it a morning. I've already been up since 3 30 a.m. this morning. So that's that's probably part of the issue. You've been doing too much radio. That's the problem. You used I know. to when you talk into a microphone, you think it's the AM and it's not right now. And, and I also heard- it's not I feel like I need to give the temperature out and say the time every three minutes and maybe throw to a Tones and I song. It's weird. It's all, it's changed, Tim. It's a, it's a moving world. I mean, that's the point. That's the point of the podcast is we're not on, on air. That's, it's called off air. I'm not sure if we've caught you up to speed with where this whole idea came from. But yeah, that's what's going on. Um, Nick, we started something last week. And I liked it. It was a, uh, an idea from Danielle who said, you guys should do a recommendations segment. And I actually, I put on our Facebook page and I said, I think we need a better name for our recommendation segment. I'm floating the name Nick Pick. Like, I like Nick Pick. Like, uh, send me your Nick Pick. Solicited <laughs> or not, I don't care. <laughs> Which, could I just add, has never mm. been requested before. Never once have I been asked to send a dick pic, and it's just been sitting here for 31 years of my life doing nothing, not being photographed. Can I tell Uh, you, I have like a really weird thing. Ellie and I, my girlfriend and I were talking about dick pics. We were at dinner one night with, with another friend, and we were talking about dick pics, and Ellie was like, you've never sent me a dick pic. And I said, well, I've never sent anybody a dick pic. It's not, it's not, some, it's not in my repertoire. No. And she was like, well, maybe you should, like, I think it'd be funny. I think you should surprise me one day with a dick pic. And there is pressure at the moment in my relationship. This has been going on for weeks where she, <laughs> every now and then she's like, still haven't got that dick pic. So there's actually someone in the world who wants a dick pic from me. I don't want to do it. 
I don't. I, it's yeah, not my that, thing. That situation to me sounds a lot more like compiling evidence than a sexy anecdotal <laughs> message. It's a trap, She's right? Hundred like, percent. Yeah, the second she gets it, she'll be like, "If you cross me, this is going straight on Instagram." <laughs> in all its glory, but the yeah. Mexican, the little Mexican sombrero from the tequila bottle was a nice touch. I appreciated that, and the lighting. <laughs> okay, uh, so you like Nick picks? Uh, yeah, yeah. What are the? What, uh, okay. Do we have other options? Danielle's also written, uh, we're thirsty for or got me lit up. Um, I think Nick picks it is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a big lighter. Sorry, Danielle. Things. No. I don't okay. mind the thirsty thing, but I think that's about being horny, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not au fait with the kids' lingo. Do, do men say thirsty? Do the guys get thirsty? Oh, I'm sure guys get thirsty. Let's refer back to the dick pic comment. Um, uh, <laughs> Give no, me a nick pick. Okay, nick pick. Uh, I have just finished reading a book. It is a, It came out a few years ago, but it's called Wheelmen, and it's by uh, Reed Albergotti and Vanessa O'Connell, and it basically dives into Lance Armstrong and how he systematically bullied and abused the entire of professional cycling and organized uh, drug wow. trafficking. And it's deep. This, so this guy initially started writing about it because he was just invited to live with Lance Armstrong for a year. And yeah. then he thought things were getting fishy uh, and started to voice those concerns. And essentially Lance Armstrong blacklisted him out of journalism and, and tried to destroy his life. Uh, wow. And he's just compiled all the evidence of all of it going down, but it also goes really deep into his, the psychology behind what creates a person like Lance Armstrong. He's a weird, he's a very, very, I I mean, the drugs and stuff aside, it takes a certain level of person to sit on a bike for that amount of time. Um, (laughs) Like That's your biggest takeaway. No, and, and to compete at that level for that long, because he was a champion for so long, for, for like over a decade. Well, he beat um, cancer in the middle of it. I mean, he won his yeah. first world champion yeah. as a young guy and then got testicular cancer, uh, yeah. beat cancer and came back and won six or seven to it. Obviously now zero because they've taken them all off him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a wild story. Um, there's also the great documentary, I think it's called Icarus. That's up on Netflix yes. and it's about the, the drug cheating in, cy- in cycling. Um, okay, what's the name of your book one more time? Wheel, Wheelman? Wheelman. What do you got for us? Um, my Nick pick, which I'm going to send to you, Nick. There's a great podcast that I've been getting into. It's called The Dollop. And it's a history, it's an American history podcast. Um, there is one historian and one comedian. And each week the historian tells the comedian a story from, from history. And the comedian just asks questions. And it's hilarious. And their last uh, episode's a double episode about a guy called Timothy Leary who discovered LSD and brought acid to the world. And it is fucking insane. Like Yoko Ono's in it, John John Lennon, uh, President Nixon is involved for a period of time. Like these people are like personally involved in his story. He has enemies. Uh, At one point he starts like a sex cult on a farm. Um, well, as you do. <laughs> I mean, if you've invented acid, I'm sure there was plenty of people keen to get on the cult. So he he like discovered acid, and he was working for Harvard at the time, and he and he convinced them that he wanted to uh, do a study into acid, and so they gave him unlimited acid, which is the worst oh, thing. Oh, sweet to- Jesus! <laughs> yeah. So he um 
It's a, a very, very funny podcast. So it's called The Dollop. That's my Nick pick that I'm sending your way, Nick. Are you ready for story number one this week? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Story number one. Super Netball adds Super Zone two-point rule. Just six weeks out from the start of the season. Nick, have you seen it? What do you think? No, I haven't. I was not expecting. We've been doing race relations and things like that. Now we're talking about Super Netball putting in a new line. You were the the one who keeps on saying more Jenna. And um, what's more? Well, I mean, the Jennas don't play sport, I don't think. But- have you really not seen this about Super Netball? This is big stuff. No. So, well, obviously in the netball circles, I'm sure it's huge. So, what's the what? Can you talk me through the concept? Okay. Where will this sure. lie? Is it like a basketball three point line? It basically is that. Yes. Yeah. So, this has come out in the last 24 hours. Uh, the Super Netball Association they they've pushed their season back, and right now they're six weeks out from opening the season and they have just decided and put this out and the players have only just decided that they're going to be adding a rule for the new season. Basically there's going to be like a, uh, a semicircle within cause they have the semicircle yeah, yeah, in which you yeah, can yeah, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're basically in that first like foot of the circle, so you're, you're kind of like two and a half meters away from the hoop. If you shoot from there in the last five minutes of each quarter, it's worth two points instead of one. It completely changes the game of netball. And, uh, and no one has been consulted. None of the players have been consulted. And they're really angry about it. So it kind well, of starts to be... It, it, it opens a bigger question about should you be able to just change the rules of sport? Well, I mean, look, here's the here's the dirty little secret. Okay. And I guess I'm uh, maybe going to tread on some toes saying this, but okay. in the past seven or eight years, we worked out that women, and this is I'm, big news for me, Tim, I don't know if you knew this, oh, actually boy. can play exactly the same sports as men at a really high level, and it's really entertaining to watch. Uh, so I'm assuming- <laughs> In this period of time, netball, which was always predominantly a female sport or something right. uh, office workers do on a Wednesday night, uh, has probably taken a major hit from the success of AFLW and also the WNBL and the WNBA over in America. Like there's a lot of, uh, all of a sudden, there's a lot of space wow. for women to really enjoy sport where there previously wasn't. So clearly netball needs to do something to spice it up. Because there's this great game where women are earning millions of dollars where they're allowed to bounce the ball and there's a backboard. <laughs> and they don't even I, have to wear skimpy dresses. Explain they that don't have to me. wear skirts. They can wear yeah, whatever they want. It's really they weird. Wear, they can wear shorts like real athletes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I think anything that you could... I mean, what do you do to spice up netball? I think mm. it's probably one of those... Shorter skirts. Can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll really play into the women. Chicks will dig that. <laughs> the Super <laughs> Committee. But the, but the interesting thing about all of this is that the players weren't uh, uh, the players weren't in on any of this. They've literally only found out. They found out this morning, um, or, or was it yesterday morning, that these rule changes were going to happen. So it's totally taken them by surprise. And this is going to change the sport. And these teams already exist. So if you're putting a team together and you know about this two-point rule, you're going to be like, okay, we need at least three long sniper shooters on the team who can really bank those two-pointers. Well, wait, and who goes in the zone though? Because uh, obviously at the moment, only a goal shooter and a uh, goal attack can, goal can attack, score. Correct. Who's allowed to now? 
Well, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the exact same. So goal shooter and goal attack are still the ones that are allowed to shoot, but either of them can shoot from that little bit further out, which will mean that they can, that they can earn two points. So it, it does make the game more exciting. But also, well, they did this, totally, this. This this happened in basketball. It screws well. I mean, the team. What do you mean it yeah. happened in basketball? Well, there wasn't always a three point line. That that only came in in. Oh. Really? Yeah, you're testing me. I'm going to say seventies. I'm, okay. I'm going with seventies. And, and then what was, there was the feeling? Brief, well, everyone was like, as if anyone can shoot for about there. <laughs> <laughs> everyone was like, well, that's just ridiculous. And then no one took any. Uh, until Kobe Bryant. Well, until, yeah, until a few rogue players in the 90s. Mm. And there was one year where they made it dramatically shorter to try to incentivize it. And the stats are all just crazy. Uh, And then it's only really been this century that it's come on as an equitable skill. And really only since Steph Curry uh, and the Golden State Warriors has it become a major, major thing. But we see changes in sport all the time. I think the bigger problem is will netball exist in five years because basketball is a far superior sport. Wow. Big call there. Okay. Last <laughs> week you said everyone in Victoria can can eat a dick and come and fight you. <laughs> this week- and what's happened since then, Tim? What's happened in Victoria since then? Well, t- <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't About gone well 40, for us. 46 more cases of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not okay. going <laughs> to use that as a – I'm not going to lord coronavirus over people, but I'm just saying. Um, okay, so you're on board. You think that sports can change and sports can evolve? Yeah, 100%. I think that's the bigger question. And, like, I think it's interesting to see sports trying to stay up to date. We've seen it happen with cricket. Like, I much prefer going to a one-dayer or a 2020 in cricket and the other thing is this is only coming in for super netball. So it's going to change the super netball competition, but obviously like the Olympics and stuff, we're still going to have um, oh, that's the, old, the old school netball rules. So it will be similar to the way that cricket has your 2020 and then it also has a test. Yeah. Well, some people, I mean, adapt to survive. Ultimately, I think it's fun. I, it sounds quite fun, to be honest. If you're going to see, I've always wondered why people don't shoot from a little further out. I mean, the basketball line has existed in three point. Uh, sorry, the three point lines have existed for a while. I also mm. don't know why you got to put the ball behind you. Look, I've got some bigger issues clearly with netball. <laughs> have you played? Have you ever played netball? I think I did a little bit of wing defense back in the day. <laughs> That's the, the the spot that you delete if you don't have enough players. That's the exact one to go. It's yeah. position. So whatever. It's a stupid yeah. sport. Go play basketball. <laughs> I think it's going to be really interesting to see. The one thing that I think um, you, oh, you can't- get off your netball tear. We've had I like netball. content for one podcast. Okay, fine. I like, I've played a few <laughs> seasons of netball and I'm a great goal attack. So this is going to d- directly impact me. You're the type of person that would probably play like uh, frisbee golf as well. It's all the <laughs> weird niche sports to try to be good at something. <laughs> Our mixed netball team did very well last year. <laughs> uh, we came second after a great season. Oh, good. What do they give you? A lolly bag? Or There's <laughs> nothing wrong with mixed netball. It's a fun, it's a fun sport. <laughs> okay. You want to move on? Yep. Okay. All right. We'll do a more serious one now. Here we go. Story number two. Story number two. This is a more serious one. Uh, Porn star Ron Jeremy charged with multiple uh, sexual assaults. Nick, have you seen this story popping up in the news um, literally in the last 24 hours? And what do you think? Yeah. I only read about it this morning. I mean, 
I think that uh, I do, and and total uh, confession here that I don't know a great deal about the American legal system, but obviously mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult uh, to bring charges against someone and actually gain a conviction in Australia when it comes to rape and sexual mm-hmm. assault. So I would assume it's probably a similar case in America because this is not a civil trial. This is a this uh, is the police have this is yes, the, have taken him into custody exactly, yes. and I think he's facing ninety years in prison. Yeah. Um, the th- I guess it's very interesting when you delve into the details of this because all four accused assaults or rapes happen at the same bar at different yeah. times. Yeah. And and that would you would assume is predatory behavior. And yes. and you would also assume uh and this is obviously all allegedly at this point that that if there's four people that have come forward there would have to be more people because if there's one thing we've learned since the start of the me too movement uh, it's that sexual predators really fucking love being sexual predators and going out there and trying to assault and attack women yeah so, bill cosby wasn't like well that was a fun one time weekend like yeah i think they got up they to do it, it they keep yeah. doing it yeah exactly because uh, it's a power thing so I, f- I feel like we should just give a little bit of backstory because there will be there will be people checking this out who maybe don't know. Um, I don't know why you and I know the names of porn stars off the top of our head, but I don't know, some, it's just a thing. <laughs> Tell, so so uh, Ron Jeremy is probably the most famous. He's old, by the way. He's sixty three. Yeah, um, his, his nickname's the Warthog. He, he's the most famous. Um, I would say ma- most famous male sex performer of all time in the yeah. history in the history of the porn industry. Um, he was big in like the seventies, like when it was first yeah, really 70, starting. 80s, and then he also um, <clears throat> uh, started in a whole heap of movies. He, he's, he, he's sort of in that Tarantino uh, Rodriguez crowd. He's, he's start, he's uh, had cameo roles in a lot of feature Hollywood films. Yeah, so he's right. been he's part of up. that landscape for a long time. He's part of the whole Hugh Hefner crowd. So it is, it's a huge thing, but. It's it's you know ultimately it's a great thing if 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 these people can be exposed and this predatory behavior can be exposed. Yeah, yeah, I've got the details here. It says Los Angeles County uh, Superior Court uh, is going to trial him on three counts of um, sexual assault and three counts of of uh, forcible rape and forcible penetration by a foreign object. Um, one count each of forcible oral copulation. It's very serious stuff. Sexual battery as well and um like you said when there is one of these things apparently there are um more than a dozen women who have publicly accused him of sexual assault over the years and these i think it's three or four specific instances have happened over the last six years so clearly they've been building a case against him and now they've pulled the trigger on it in order to in order to put him away um what i think is interesting about this and um this is a little bit of a left turn, but there there were two big kind of sexual assault, sexual harassment stories in the news in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, one of them is the Ron Jeremy story. And at the same time, I would say taking up the same amount of um, newspaper space is the Megan Fox, Michael Bay story. Have you seen that as well? <laughs> kicking around? Yeah. yeah. Is, I mean- I think Michael Bay has a uh, now quite a long history of uh, sexualizing yeah, teenage girls. 
and and you've got to ask where the line is. So for backstory, mm. there, uh, Megan Fox, an interviewer surfaced that she did. I don't know. Th- four or five years ago, uh, around yeah, the same Jimmy time Cullen, as yeah. Transformers first came out when she was a 15-year-old. Uh, and essentially Michael Bay was pushing to have her in a bikini, drinking a bottle of Coke on a bar, and then they told him he can't do that. So he had her pour water over herself or some really bizarre stuff. I mean, it's no news to me that Hollywood is extremely predatory. And I think it's interesting because it's a real hurricane of events that leads to that because in Hollywood Mm. you have people who are obviously objectified for their looks professionally. Uh, So there is, there's a big melting pot of that, but then you also have a big melting pot of managers and producers who have literally no discernible skill. So ultimately they well, they don't, they just, their skill is leeching onto people and using them. And that takes a lot of ego. And, and I think part of that ego and this is becoming a bit of a theme for this podcast because it was an issue for Lance Armstrong as well, uh, and and no doubt for Ron Jeremy, is there's that ego that drives them to do these things as a power play. I mean, there's a lot of psychology there, and I, I don't pretend to be an expert, but, um, you know, it's just it, it's horrible to see both of those cases, but it doesn't surprise me that that shit's coming out of Hollywood. Well. Okay, this is going to surprise you, okay? This is going to kind of uppercut some of the stuff that you were just saying because I actually bring the Megan Fox into uh, story into this conversation for a totally different reason. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but today Megan Fox has come out um, defending Michael Bay, saying that he never treated her in a bad way, sexualized her or made her feel that she um, was pressured into doing anything sexual. So why'd she say the original comments? She, um, okay, so she has said that that story was taken out of context. Um, so uh, the, the very first thing about her being underage and being in a movie, she was an extra in Bad Boys, I think Bad Boys 2. She was an extra. Um, somebody, so there would normally be like an extra wrangler, somebody who organizes the extras, um, said, hey, this girl can't be sitting at the bar because she's underage. And Michael Bay said, great, okay, uh, put her um, over there and put her under a waterfall, which you can you can say is sexualized, but I think the scene was a beach party scene. So um, it, it would have been like a throwaway thing. She went on to say she's actually put a whole post up And she said, um, while I greatly appreciate the outpouring of support, I do feel I need to clarify the details as they've been lost in the retelling of events and cast a sinister shadow that doesn't, in my opinion, belong where it's currently being projected. There are many names that deserve to be going viral in cancel culture right now, but they are safely stored in the fragmented recesses of my heart, which is a very dark thing for anybody to say. But basically she goes on to say how um, her relationship with Michael Bay was purely professional and there are other people who she did experience Me Too style stories with. Michael Bay and Steven Spielberg are not two of them. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this up and talk about how these two stories were both taking up the same amount of headline space in the news is I think that we are in a dangerous place in culture at the moment where the cancel culture has maybe gotten a little bit out of control. That Megan Fox interview resurfaced and without any comment from Megan Fox completely took on a life of its own and in, an entire cancel Michael Bay movement started up underneath her 
Um, I found an article on CNN that said, if a sucker was born every minute in 2017, a creep is cancelled every minute in 2020. Michael Bay, your time is up. So the internet and the news turned on Michael Bay. Well, Megan Fox had nothing to do with it. And the first thing that she's done is come out and say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Michael Bay didn't do anything. And what I think is really dangerous right now is when people start canceling things or jumping on movements too quickly, it um, it undermines the voice of real things that are happening. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because with this porn star, uh, the Ron Jeremy story, this is a real thing that is happening. This is a real person who has who is being taken into police custody for not even sexual assault for rape. And I mean, those acts are, are very, very serious um, penetration by a foreign object. I mean, this is serious stuff. Serious and allegations. I, I think that we need to be really careful in the media. The media world needs to be careful about who we're shining this cancel culture spotlight on. Well, I want to hold on a second because I do want to point out I never said that Michael Bay should be cancelled. No, I know that you didn't, but you had read, but you'd read the first half of those stories, and yeah. the internet already did its thing. And I just think it's crazy that these two stories are going on at the same time, and one of them really undermines the other one. But why was a fifteen-year-old cast in a sexualized role? Right. Okay. Well, why was okay. a why? Well, hold on, Tim Rubin. Like, mm. why was a fifteen-year-old put in a position where they're in a bikini at a beach party in Miami when it's not legal to drink in America till you're twenty-one years old? Yeah. Okay. I um I obviously don't condone um pressuring an underage person into uh, showing off their body in the entertainment industry. However, what I will say is coming from um the acting industry, it's a very complex uh series of events that get you to that exact spot and putting the spotlight on Michael Bay is not really it's just not how it would have unfolded. So the first yeah, but thing let's is let's break down the complex series I, of events because yeah, I cool, think I would love to is acting no, I, it's an interesting that actors get passes on a lot of things. Right. Okay. No, I would love to break it down because I know that for you, I think that this will, it will be interesting. And I think for a lot of people, they w- wouldn't know the steps that would happen that would lead Megan Fox up to that. Yeah. So the first step is um, uh, you exist in a platform called Showcast or American America would have a version of that that has you as an actor and what type of work you want to do. And on that, you put down your playing age. And so for a party where there's alcohol, they're going to need people with a playing age of over 21. So I would assume that Megan Fox would have put down a playing age of somewhere like uh, 18 to 24. That's like a pretty average age, okay? Yeah. So firstly, her and her family would have put that down. Secondly, her agent would have put her up for that particular role. Thirdly, um, that would be passed on to someone called a casting agent. They're the person that's in charge of booking the actors. That person would have booked her as 22-year-old uni party girl. Thirdly, she would have gone through um, wardrobe and everything and people would have dressed her. Those people wouldn't know her age. They would just dress people depending on the scene. Finally, they're eventually on the set and one person would have gone, hey, that girl can't actually be sitting at the bar. She's actually under 21. And Michael Bay would have gone, okay, put her in another area, which happened i mean i don't know how the waterfall thing was chosen but i mean it's it's a beach party with a waterfall he had to put her somewhere so by the time she's in that environment michael bay didn't choose all of those steps no no but taking michael bay out of it yeah you're you're 100 right but doesn't that show a fractured system 
And isn't it weird that so much of the Me Too movement has been based around the exploitation of young people in um, show business? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I I, I, mean, think- I have no doubt, and I'm not asking you to name names, but yeah. uh, as you said, you worked as an actor for a period of time. I yeah, have yeah. no doubt you have seen situations where directors or executive producers have hit on young actresses or actors yeah, uh, or, or tried uh, to make untoward moves or even ha- had situations happen which involve sexual harassment. Yeah, I, I have seen things happen. Um and I think you're right. I think that that system needs to be re-looked at. But all I'm saying is Michael Bay was the last person to say a sentence in what would have been a month-long process that got her to that to that spot. Um, yeah. And I don't think that this reflects on him. And I just think that there are much... Where there are very serious things going on. I think we need to be careful with who we shine the cancel culture spotlight on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a giant yeah. article in Variety this week where they had uh, 10 movies that should require a warning on them. And some of them were just outlandish. Like uh, one of them was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of their depiction of right. uh, people of color at that point in time and their depiction of other things. And it's like, well, that was because that's how people were depicted in that time. Like yeah. that is a movie set in that period of time. And also it's fucking make-believe. Like, that's the biggest thing is, do we just want the entertainment industry to solely make fucking documentaries? Make make Big Brother documentaries. Because otherwise, you know, last time I checked, people can't fly, but Peter Pan and Hook did very well. Hook Uh, does not fly in the movie. No, I know, but I'm saying the movie (laughs) Hook. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm kidding. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. It's big topic, big topic. Cancel yeah. culture in general is, I mean, there's very, anytime you start moving towards book burning as a society, it's usually mm. a sign that you're heading towards the end. Yeah. I think we need to be careful about the stories that we give a lot of energy to. And I think jumping on a cancel culture train before people involved in the story have even put anything out there, that's a very dangerous thing. Um, I think that if the accusations against Ron Jeremy are true, he needs to go and serve those 90 years. And I think that, um, I mean, it's too late. Like there has been damage done to Michael Bay's career at the same time. And he... I. I Clearly is being defended by Megan Fox. So I don't think that he's guilty. Should we if move you, on? We, if you have seen any of Michael Bay's movies from the past 12 to 14 years, he's yeah. doing plenty of damage himself. Okay. Should we try and squeeze in one last yeah, story? Let's do a quickie. Let's do a quickie. Okay. We've hit 29 minutes. We'll do one last one. Uh, story number three. And you touched on it already, Nick. Um, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian says that uh, Sydney tourism people need to be wary of Victorians, in particular Melbourne travellers, as Melbourne has confirmed its seventh straight day of double-digit coronavirus infections. Have you seen it? What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I have seen it. Uh, yeah (laughs) i think i did a good job of alienating an entire state last week what i would say is uh it just it highlights how incredibly uh contagious uh coronavirus is and and that it is something that we need we need to be mindful and wary of and it is something that we need to monitor and it is not something that we should ever put our economy above i have a question for you I understand closing down the borders of states. Yeah. Do you think that it is too far? And do you think that there's almost an element of potentially 
socioeconomic um hardship or are you referring to border towns like if Aubrey Wodonga was shut down or <clears throat> no um do you think I think that it could be problematic to start saying you need to check where people are from and you need to refuse them service. Yeah. Yeah. In the future. And I don't just mean in terms of as a way to deal with coronavirus. I mean, like suburbs often follow socioeconomic patterns and what could start to happen, like we've seen that coronavirus tends to impact lower socioeconomic areas harder because there are more people living in- Yes, because there are more. I, I think in Australia, yeah. it's it's only it's the majority of clusters have been in affluent suburbs. The no, most uh, recent in Victoria have been in the southern suburbs, and and that there has been talk around in in migrant migrant families and migrant yeah. communities. Yeah. yeah, and if you look, uh, I mean, if you have less money, you have to go to work. Basically, yeah. you're less yeah. likely to report that you're unwell, um, and I think it could turn into like a, an issue of classism. If you start saying, if you're from this suburb, you can't come to my hotel, dentist, hair salon. I don't know. I think if Gladys Berejiklian has a problem with people from Victoria, fine, close your borders from Victor- for Victoria. But I don't think you can start saying, if you're from this suburb, you should be denied access to our bars and restaurants. Yeah, I think shutting down suburbs is a really touchy subject and yeah. you're right i think uh, that said uh there w- there have already been in place i i don't again not entirely sure about victoria but in queensland we had a period of time where you could only go within 50 kilometers uh and then that was extended to 150 kilometers of your house yeah and we had we had that. that yeah yeah so i mean it's existed in some capacity obviously that's harder in melbourne because you have a lot of people living on top of each other um what do you but do, that's man? A, that's I mean, a state. Is- that's a state rule to say, okay, no one can try that, and that affects everybody. But to this say is, this is unprecedented times, and I understand yeah. signalling out suburbs is really difficult. And, and yeah, yeah, there is going to be elements of classism throughout this entire process because there naturally is anyway. I mean, the a rich person with a holiday house in Byron is probably not going to be hanging out in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. They're probably going to migrate down to there and change their residential address, yeah, or up to there, I should say. Um, I think it's a re- it's it's going to be very very interesting until there is a vaccine readily available to people. How this takes shape at the moment, Australians should be incredibly proud of how we've dealt with it and, and the personal responsibility that we've put on that. But the biggest thing is we shouldn't get complacent because money thing- money comes and goes. But uh, yeah, this this could get very bad very fast. Yes, and and we're talking about people's lives and people can't be replaced. I think. The perspective that I'm looking at this from is, like you said, it could be a long time before there's a vaccine. There's actually never been a vaccine before for this certain type of uh, disease. So there's actually a a very strong chance that there will never be a vaccine. Mm. And if we start saying, okay, I I mean, there's no vaccine for the chickenpox, people just get it. Like it's just a part of society. And if we go, okay, uh, COVID it could potentially just be the same. And for the next 10 years, this is just going to slowly peter itself out. I mean, at the moment, it's double digits means super bad. But what if in, in a year we start going, oh, there's been one case in this um, lower socioeconomic area. We're going to shut this area down. I want no bars to serve people from that area. I think it's a slippery slope to go down. 
Well, I, I mean, that depends on what strategy we take. And and the, and Australia has never talked about an eradication strategy. Obviously, New Zealand did that. And, yeah. and we can now see how flawed that system is. It's just so, so easy to break. Yeah. Ultimately, the key is, yeah, in 10 years' time, it, it very well could be a case where, ah, oh, your kid's got coronavirus and, and then they move on. But at this point in time, the biggest issue or what for any young person listening who doesn't have older relatives or doesn't have that sort of touch point or any young Mm. person listening that goes, oh, you know, fucking whatever, if a bunch of 80 year olds die, whatever. That's not the thing that stresses me out. It is our healthcare system being overwhelmed. So at the moment, it is really important that we do have a slow, like the sad reality is, yes, people are going to continue to die in this country and that's going to be an unavoidable fact. But it's really important that we have a real slow drip approach and slowly try to uh, ultimately, I guess, if there's not a vaccine, infect people with coronavirus, but at a rate which isn't going to overwhelm our healthcare system while we can still live uh, sustainable lives. And that's where the real balance comes in because there does need to be a level of st- sustainability for our economy and there needs to be a level of sustainability. So there's going to be some really big questions asked over the next, and, and there's going to be more arguments and people are just going to have to keep a level head because ultimately that's all we can do. This is a really scary thing. And if you look at the situation, I think it's been really foreign to us because we've been relatively untouched. Uh, By everything you know. else so far. Yeah. Exactly right. SARS so, and yeah, bird flu. But not only that, even in Australia is we all we all bought as much toilet paper as we oh, right. stayed in our houses. We, you know, 120,000 people plus in America have died of coronavirus. Uh and, and mm. that's just America. You know, this the, the past week- well, we got to slow down the testing. <laughs> and I'm great. I'm wonderful at testing. I'm great at testing. The Let best me tell test. you, I know the best. I know the best tests. Oh, I know the best. Oh. I know a litmus test. I know. <laughs> that's going to be the more interesting thing. The, the upcoming American election and how they handle that and also uh, put on the tinfoil hat. But it's very yeah. interesting that they're all of a sudden using coronavirus as a reason to have less polling booths in certain regions. Yeah. Certain regions that happen to have predominant, predominantly people of color living. Yeah, in. that's a whole that's, that's a whole other issue. Yeah. It is. <sighs> all right. I think we've come to the end. Nick, um, uh, any any requests for next week? More Kim Kardashian, less Kim Kardashian. You seem very unhappy by netball. You want no more netball in this? I'm I like having happy. netball. I just didn't expect the lead story to be netball. It's a. It was a great story. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to see in six weeks the first game of Super Netball. I'm going to watch it. Oh God! I'm fucking. My nipples are hard right now. <laughs> well, your nipples are always hard during, <laughs> during this podcast, as are mine. <laughs> All right, Nick Stewart, thanks for joining me for another episode of Off Air. If you are still listening, you made it to the end, you got thoughts, feelings, ideas for us for next week, hit us up on our Facebook page. It's called Off Air. Um, See you next week. Cancel Michael Bay.